So we may not agree on everything, but I think we can all agree that we live in a not-so-United States of America right now. Now, I am not one of those people who are out there saying it's the worst it's ever been. Every time I hear somebody say that, I think to myself, have you not read your history? There's this little thing called the Civil War. I think that's probably the worst it's ever been, but it is certainly uh, divisive right now in our country. There is racial tension, economic tension, political tension, cultural tension, you name it, it doesn't matter if you're in Washington, D.C. or Murray, Kentucky. It is felt all throughout our nation. And so for the next four weeks, uh, I want us, what I, my goal is simply this. I want to start a conversation that I hope is a very, very positive, very, very helpful conversation about what you and I can do to contribute to a reunited States of America. So before we jump into it, I've gotten a lot of comments and a lot of questions this week. The title of this series has obviously created a lot of interest. So I want to explain to you first why I am not doing this series, and then I'll explain to you why I am doing this series, and then we'll jump right into it, okay? Here's why I'm not doing this series. I am not in any way trying to push a political agenda, and if you've been around here, you know that. That's not who we are or what we do. But if you're new, you need to know that. I'm not trying to push a political agenda at all. But some of you, if you have interest in politics then you are going to hear me at different points say things that to you sound political. And the reason is because you're listening with Democrat ears or you're listening with Republican ears, okay? And there's nothing wrong with that. It's just how you filter everything. So anytime I talk about a topic that uh, may have anything to do with what's going on in our country, I always have this happen after the services or throughout the week. And so I'm just telling you in advance, okay? You don't even have to come tell me because I, I know, I get it. So, so what happens is I will have on the very... Very same Sunday, very same message. I will have somebody catch me afterwards, and they will say, you know what, Matt? I was listening to what you had to say. I was loving what you had to say, and I was certain as I was listening to that. Well, now I know he's a Democrat. He's a Democrat, and I love it. I'm a Democrat. And then you said that, and you sounded just like a Republican. I can't, you know, and then they're all confused. And in the very same day, I mean, they'll walk away, and somebody else will come up and say, I was listening to what you had to say, and I was like, I knew he was a Republican. I knew he was a Republican. And then you said that, and I was like, no, that sounds like a Democrat. And, you know, so I'm, I'm, not, I'm not in either camp, okay? I'm not in either camp. So if, if that's your experience, just know. No, oh, I'm listening to this through my Democrat ears or my Republican ears. It's just not my agenda. I'm not going to push any political agenda here. That's not my goal. And the reason is simply this. I admire politicians. I love the form of government we have. I think it's terrific. I enjoy, you know, kind of being on the outside and looking at how politics works. I've read a biography on every president we have ever had in this country. So I enjoy it all from the history standpoint and from all of that. 
but I am not interested in any political agenda, even though I respect everybody who's a civil servant. My reason for not being in the middle of it is simply this, because nobody dies and goes to Washington, D.C. They die and step into eternity. So while all the politics is important, my goal for my life is a little different. It's to introduce people to God's grace and invite them into God's purpose for their life. And political agendas do nothing but burn bridges with half of the people I'm trying to invite or introduce to God's grace. So I'm just not into that. That's why our church doesn't get into that. There are bigger things for us to do. I'm not saying it's not important. It's just not what we're trying to do. So you can relax. It doesn't have a political agenda, even though we may touch, I'm sure we'll touch on some things that you think, oh, that's going on in politics right now. And you can just figure out what you want to do with that. But we believe you ought to filter your politics through the lens of your faith, not filter your faith through the lens of your politics. So if there are things that Jesus has to say that impact your political view, so be it. But that's between you and him. Let me tell you why I am doing this series, okay? Because for those of us who are followers of Jesus, and if you're not a follower of Jesus, today is a great day for you to be here. I think what we're going to talk about is something you will agree with and hopefully find extremely helpful. I know it'll work for you, but it's entirely optional for you. But for those of us who are followers of Jesus, if I can talk to us for a minute, part of the reason I wanted to do this series for about two years now, I've been weighing this and studying this and kind of digging into it. I wanted to do this series because I think as Christians... We have, to some extent, maybe to a large extent, we have contributed to the division in our country. Over the last several decades, because of the choices we made, we, you know, if, not to get into all the history, but any time a group of people begins to gain power and influence, and they begin to hoard that for themselves, and Christians begin to gain some power and influence in this country, and I don't think we did a very good job with it. You're supposed to take power and influence and use it for the benefit of others. I'm not so sure Christians did that over the last several decades. As another sermon for another day. I won't even get into that. But the point is, I think we have contributed to this, that we have played a role and we have a responsibility in the divisiveness that we see in our country. But I also believe, and this is the good news, I am also convinced that the message of Jesus, that those of us who follow him steward, it's our job to help people see and understand it. This message of Jesus that we steward, I am convinced it holds the solution for the divisiveness in our country. So I just want to spend the next few weeks talking about it, and I'm going to tell you up front, We are going to tackle some stuff that's going to make you uncomfortable. We're going to tackle some stuff that makes me uncomfortable. If you think you're uncomfortable, imagine being up here talking about it. It's like holding a grenade and hoping that I don't drop it accidentally, you know. I want to make sure I don't say anything that sets it off and blows up in my face. So we're going to talk about some stuff that's going to make you uncomfortable. And the reason is because there will be something in this series for all of us that challenges our beliefs, our assumptions, and our behaviors. And your beliefs, assumptions, and the behaviors form the foundation for your identity. So this is important to understand. Whenever you find yourself feeling a tension as we go through this series, whenever you find yourself starting to get a little angry or frustrated with me or with whoever as we go through the series, you need to know that's an indicator. That's an indicator that your beliefs, assumptions, and behaviors are probably being challenged. And what's typical is to blame somebody else for that and to bunker down on what you believe and to, you know, to hold more tightly to what you assume. Instead of doing that, here's what I want to encourage you to do. I just want you to pay attention to the tension. I want you to pay attention to that resistance that you begin to feel inside of you, and I want you to go beyond the, oh, I'm feeling that because they're wrong and I'm right. No, I want you to go beyond that, and I want you to dig down deep and try to figure out, why do I really feel this resistance? Why do I really feel this tension? 
and see if you can wrestle through. And maybe you'll find there are some beliefs, there are some assumptions, there are some behaviors that you have that are wrong, that are wrong. There are some that I have that are wrong, or maybe we're carrying some things we don't even realize that we carry, but you'll never know unless you have the courage and the honesty to look in the mirror and own what's going on in your heart and in mine and own the role and responsibility you and I may be playing without even realizing it in the divisiveness in our country. So, that being said, now that you're all on the edge of your seat waiting to see if I blow up my job here, let's get started with something we all agree on, okay? I think we can all agree on this. Christian, not Christian, doesn't matter. What's best for people is what's best. We can all agree on that. It doesn't matter where you stand politically, it doesn't matter sexual orientation, it doesn't matter your race, it doesn't matter, you know, your economic status. Pretty much everybody in our country can agree on this simple idea. We all believe what's best for people is what's best. As a matter of fact, let's just all say that together. Are you ready? One, two, three. What's best for people is what's best. That was not said with much conviction. We're going to do that again and wake everybody up, okay? You ready? One, two, three. What's best? is what's absolutely absolutely what's best for people is what's best now we may not agree on what's best for people we often don't that's why you have a republican party and a democrat party that's why you have different denominations and religions because we don't always agree on the beliefs or the behaviors or the positions that are best for people or the programs that are best for people we don't always agree on what's best for people but we can agree that what's best for people is actually what's best. And the easy way to think about this is just to think about uh, your parents, for most of you at least, your parents when you were growing up or whoever raised you when you were growing up. Or if you're a parent now, you can think about your experience as a parent now. But your parents growing up did not always agree on what was best for you. But they did both want what was best for you. They couldn't always agree on what that looked like. But they did want what was best for you. And as a nation, we can typically all rally around this one idea and agree what's best for people is what's best. And the reason our country, people all throughout our country, doesn't matter who you are, what you believe, how you were raised, the reason people all throughout our country tend to gravitate to and hold to this simple belief, what's best for people is what's best, is because as Americans, we believe something that is the foundation of this idea. We also believe that individuals have inherent value and nobody should be mistreated or discriminated against. Now, when I say inherent value, here's what I mean. As Americans, we all, for the most part, I'm generalizing here, but the vast majority of us believe that human beings have intrinsic or inherent value, which means they have, we all have value, worth, and dignity that is an internal thing. It's not an external thing. We have value, worth, and dignity, not because somebody tells us we do. As Americans, we believe we have value, worth, and dignity because we're a human being. And just by virtue of the fact we're a human being, we are valuable and worth something. It's an internal, not an external thing. Now, here's what Americans don't get. This is not true in every country in the world. Every country in the world does not believe that value comes from within. A lot of countries assign value from without. For example, there's some countries you could go to where the government believes they choose and assign value to individuals. Any government or any country where the government serves to assign value or worth or dignity to different individuals, that is a country where you'll find a dictatorship. 
There are other countries where there is a particular religion, one particular religion, and that religion teaches we have the power to assign value and worth to different people. And we tell this person they're this valuable and this person they're this valuable based on our religious beliefs, our religious practices. And anytime you go to a country like that, you will find that's a country that does not practice religious freedom. There's only one option because the religion has all the power. There are a lot of countries that don't believe this. And anytime you go to a country that doesn't believe a human being has inherent or intrinsic value, then you will find people discriminated against and you will find people mistreated. Here in America, we don't believe that. We believe Amer Americans, we believe all people have inherent value, which is why we do not want to discriminate or mistreat anyone. Now, the reason Americans believe this is because in our very early days, our founding fathers did a phenomenal job of making this a cornerstone principle of this new nation that they were forming. Now, they did not do a phenomenal job of practicing this fairly across the board. But when they wrote the Declaration of Independence, and when they wrote these other letters that they wrote to one another, you begin to read those, you will find that they held tightly to this belief that all people have an inherent value. That as Thomas Jefferson and you know, John Adams and Benjamin Franklin wrote in the Declaration of Independence, all men are created equal and they are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights. Now the reason that they believed these founding fathers, they weren't all followers of Jesus by any stretch, but the reason they believed that all people had inherent value is because of the teachings of Jesus. As I said, they didn't practice it fairly across the board. They didn't abolish slavery, even though they knew it conflicted and contradicted with this belief. They didn't give women equal standing in society, even they, though they knew it conflicted and contradicted this belief. But they at least cemented this belief into the DNA and fabric of who we are as a nation. And so here we are, a couple hundred years later, and we still believe this, and it shapes what we do. But I just want to connect the dots. This wasn't an idea that they came up with on their own. As they wrote in the Declaration of Independence, they believe this because they believe we have a creator who gives us inherent value, that we are all created in the image of God. This belief they had traces all the way back to the teachings of Jesus. And now here we are a couple hundred years later, and those of us who follow Jesus are stewards of this message of Jesus, which includes this extraordinary belief that every person you lock eyes with is made in the image of God and is valuable to their heavenly father, that every person you lock eyes with has intrinsic or inherent value and worth and dignity. And as followers of Jesus, we get to steward this message. And here's the thing. When we demonstrate and practice this well, it is actually very, very uniting for our country. It's a, it's a positive thing, not just for Christians. It's a positive thing for our entire culture, our entire country. But when we get this wrong, it is a black eye for the church, and it is a setback for the country. And we have, over the years, gotten this wrong on more than one occasion. So, the question then is, what do you and I do as followers of Jesus to help reunite a country that's so divisive? I mean, again, it doesn't matter if you're in D.C. and you're talking to politics, or if you're in Murray and you're just talking to people in our community. There is a lot of division right now. What, what's the responsibility of those of us who are followers of Jesus? And if you're not one, you get to kind of lean in and pick and choose what you want to do out of this. But I feel like those of us who are Christians, we have a responsibility, a mandate to live
to love, to serve, and to value in such a way that we bring unity and not division wherever we are. So how do you do that? What does that look like? Well, interestingly enough, we can go all the way, way back to the first century. And those first century followers of Jesus set us an extraordinary example of what it looks like to value all human beings and to bring unity in the midst of a very, very divisive culture. If you don't know much about your first century history, I'll just give you a 30-second snapshot of it. There was so much tension in the first century. There was so much tension between the Jewish people and the Roman Empire. There was so much tension, honestly, between a lot of people groups and the Roman Empire who had conquered those groups. But specifically with the Jewish people, there was political tension, there was cultural tension, there was definitely racial tension, there was economic tension, it was in many respects a powder keg. And these Jewish people would have these revolts. Or these people would rise up from time to time. The Jews would try to revolt and there would, you know, the Romans would squash it. And then they'd try to revolt and the Romans would squash it. There was so much divisiveness in that culture at that time. And then Jesus comes and he lives and he dies and he rises again. And this movement we call the church begins. And these Christians begin to show up in all kinds of different areas throughout the Roman Empire. And so then the leaders of this movement began to write letters to encourage them, to instruct them, to help them figure out how to live out the teachings and the example of Jesus in their circumstances right where they are. And James, who is a brother of Jesus, wrote one of these letters. And in it, he gives some advice to Christians, to Jewish Christians in particular, Jewish Christians, that's important, to Jewish Christians who are scattered throughout the Roman Empire, living in all these different pockets. He writes this letter that circulates among all of them, and he gives them some extraordinary advice, and he gives us some extraordinary advice about our role and responsibility as followers of Jesus. To turn the tide and to shift the narrative and to bring about unity and not division. And here's what he has to say. My dear brothers and sisters... Take note of this. Now remember, these are Jewish people living among Romans and not in Israel. They're scattered out throughout all of the Middle East. He says, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. And I'm telling you, when they, whoever stood up and read this, you know, to the gatherings and all these different little communities, whenever those people sat there and they heard that, I'm telling you, the first thing that had to cross their mind was, okay, James, you, you mean we should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry with our fellow Jews. You don't mean do that with the Romans. Are you kidding me? The Romans, they're our enemies, literal enemies. The Romans are torturing Jews. The Romans are nailing Jews to Roman crosses. The, the Romans, they're holding us back. The Romans, they're suppressing our ability to have a good living. These people are enemies. You don't mean them, James. You just mean our own Jewish brothers and sisters, right? And James says, no, 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 I mean... You should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry with everybody, including the Romans, among whom you're living. Now, for whatever reason, in our current culture today, I don't have to convince you of this, you know this. In our current culture today, we have gotten this completely backwards. In our current culture, we are slow to listen, we are quick to speak, and we are quick to become angry. That's what we see. And it doesn't matter, you know, where you go or who you talk to you will find far more people who are shouting at one another than listening to one another. You pick your favorite news channel. It doesn't matter which news channel it is. You can pick any of them you want. You do not see people who are quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. 
You see people who are shouting at each other. You see people who are making pronouncements at one another. You see people who are trying to make a point and prove they're right. You pick your favorite social media feed. Again, I don't care which one it is. You just scroll through it. You see a lot of people who are trying to make a point. You see a lot of people who are trying to make a pronouncement. You see a lot of people who are shouting at other people, hey, this is what you ought to believe, and this is right, and why don't you get it? You don't see people who are quick to listen, so to speak, and slow to become angry. James says, no, no, no. As followers of Jesus, in the middle of a divisive, tension-filled culture, this is what you ought to do first. Now, I want to take just a few minutes, and I want to drill into this phrase, quick to listen. Because to me, this is the keystone or the cornerstone habit here. If you're quick to listen, if you can develop the ability to be quick to listen, you will by nature be slow to speak and slow to become angry. This one's huge. You know why this is so important? Because listening communicates extraordinary value and worth and dignity to another human being. You just think about how you feel when someone is willing to sit down and listen to you. Not just tell you all the things that they want you to know, not just try to prove that they're right. Um, Think about how you feel when somebody sits down and they listen to you and to your story. They listen to you and your point of view. Whenever you listen to another human being, when you're quick to listen, it communicates extraordinary value, dignity, and worth. You are honoring that individual and the inherent value that God gave them when he created them. When you sit down across a table from someone and you try to understand their point of view instead of convincing them your point of view is right, it makes a world of difference. It communicates dignity, value, and worth. We could get a lot further in our country if just those of us who were Christians were willing to sit down at a table across from somebody and listen to what they have to say. Somebody that we, you know, is different than us, somebody who views things differently than us. Imagine what would happen if we were willing to be quick to listen and we would walk around the table and we would try to see things from their point of view. Now, some of you are thinking, Matt, here's the problem with that. My point of view is right. This is how we all feel, right? My point of view is right. I mean, okay, okay, I'll I'll listen, I'll listen. But how long do I have to listen? Because once they're done, I just want to explain to them why they're wrong and I'm right. Once they see my logic, then they're going to come to my side. Yeah, because that's been working for years, right? It's been working for years. So listen, here's the thing, here's the thing. I'm not even going to argue with you. Maybe your point of view is right. I don't know. Let's just assume you're all right. Okay, you're all right. It's impossible, but let's just assume you're all right. It doesn't matter if you're right. It does not matter if you're right. And here's why. People who make a point never make a difference. People who make a point never make a difference. You can sit at the table, you can be in the conversation, and you can make all your points, and you can uh, create a compelling argument for why you're right. It doesn't matter. People who make a point never make a difference. Because people who make a point lose influence. Now, you know this because you've experienced it. Do you open yourself up to the influence of people who are always trying to convince you that you're wrong and they're right? No, you do not. They may even make an argument that convinces you you're right, and you don't want to admit they're right, but you're sure not going to change just because they've lost the ability to influence you. The only way you can bring about change is to gain influence and to gain trust, and it's all lost when you're trying to make a point. Now, 
just real quickly, for those of us who are married, and if you're not married, you're going to think that is the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life, and I would agree with you, but one day if you ever get married, you will do it too, and then just remember, you're with all the dumb people, okay? Because here's what all of us married people do. All of us married people have been in an argument with our spouse, and our spouse has made such a convincing argument that we realize right in the middle of the argument, she is actually right, and I am wrong. Now, guess what I have done every time I've realized that? I've hit pause on the argument, and I've said, Jen, you were so much wiser and smarter than me. Well, what are you laughing for? You don't think I'm that good of a guy, do you? No, I'm not. At that point, I'm like, I have to divert this argument from the facts or I'm going to lose. So let me throw something else in the middle of this so I can use my debate skills and win. That's what we all do, right? Why? Because it's not about making a point. People who are just making a point never make a difference. You lose your influence. And pronouncements, let me tell you why I'm right and you're wrong. Let me tell you about my position. Pronouncements just make a point. Conversations make a difference. And the key to great conversations is the ability to listen and to listen well. It's the ability to sit down and walk around that table and see life or see the situation from that person's point of view, is to listen more than you speak. Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Now, about a year ago, I'm scrolling through my news feed on my phone, and I see a headline, a title of a Huffington Post article that caught my attention, and I had to click it, and I had to read it. The title of the Huffington Post article was this, Sarah Silverman says she fell in love with Trump voters while traveling. Now, for those of you who have no clue who Sarah Silverman is, she is a comedian. I'm not recommending you go watch her stuff, okay? But she is a comedian who leans very far left. She, in the last presidential election, she was a huge supporter of Bernie Sanders and then uh, shifted and kind of brought the Democratic convention back together and said, hey, hey, you know, they were all upset, but we need to support Hillary. So she jumped behind Hillary. So she's about as left as you can go, okay? She's far-leaning left. So you see why this caught my attention. I was like, what do you mean? She fell in love with Trump voters, okay? This is, this is going to be interesting. So I click on this article and find out that she was at that time in the process, or she had just wrapped up, touring the entire country for a show that is now on Hulu. I'm not recommending it necessarily. I haven't watched it, but it's called I Love You, America. And she decided to travel the country, and particularly she wanted to meet people all over the country who had different viewpoints, different perspectives, different lifestyles, different opinions and beliefs than hers. And she wanted to sit down and have a conversation with them. And so in this article, it was in this interview, she began to talk about what she learned in the middle of this. And I want to read you just a little bit of what she had to say. I just found this fascinating. She said, when you're one-on-one -on -one with someone who doesn't agree with you, one-on-one, -on -one, not like, oh, all those people. No, when you're sitting across a table and you're looking eye to eye with someone who doesn't agree with you or whose ideology is different than yours. When you're face-to-face, -face, I love how she put, puts this, your porcupine needles go down. She goes on, she says, the surprise was, talking about for herself, I fell in love with them, all these Trump supporters. I fell in love with them, all these people who are you know, far right and I'm far left. She said, I had a great time with them and I felt comfortable. Now, here's what she discovered. She discovered that when you sit down face-to-face -face with somebody who's different than you, 
who views things differently, and you begin to have a conversation, instead of shouting at each other, you learn that in spite of your differences, whatever those differences may be, you actually have more in common than you have differences. And you actually discover these are good people. And in her case, she discovered, well, wait a minute. These are people that are friendly. These are people that I would call friends. And Sarah Selman, I don't know if there's ever been a pastor in the history of America who said this, okay? so one, Sarah Silverman teaches us something we should all do, okay? We should all do. Here's what she teaches us. Here's the lesson she learned as she traveled the country. She learned it's much easier to vilify some group than someone. Now, don't miss this. It is much easier for you to vilify some group than it is someone that you're sitting across the table with. For example, it's easy for you to say, all those politicians are corrupt. I don't, I don't want anything to do with any of them. It's easy for you to say, all those people on welfare are just lazy. They just need to get a job. It's easy for us to say, there's not a, there's not a Republican in the country who cares about social issues. It's easy for us to say, every one of those Democrats is trying to make us a socialist. It's easy for us to say, all those blacks just need to work harder. Follow the law. It's easy for us to say, all those whites are just trying to hold us down and keep us back. It's easy for us to say, all those Hispanics are ruining our economy. What are they doing coming over here? See, it's easy to just use a broad brush and say, all those people, all those people, all those people, and stereotype everybody. It's much harder, it's much different to sit across a table from someone who differs from you. This is what Sarah Silverman discovered. This is what we would all discover if we had the courage to do what she did. It's much different to look across a table from somebody and to hear their story and to begin to see life from their point of view. I'm telling you, when you're quick to listen, when you're willing to have those conversations, when you're willing to show that kind of dignity and value and worth to another individual, you quit making those broad pronouncements. You quit vilifying an entire group because of some group, that's an anonymous, faceless group of people. All of a sudden, oh no, I'm talking about my friend Joe. I'm talking about my friend William. I'm talking about my friend Stacy. I'm talking about my friend Omar. All of a sudden, it's different. Much easier to vilify a group. You learn a lot more when you sit down and you look face-to-face -face at someone. And you're quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. And part of the reason we are so divided in this country right now is because our nation's pastime is using a broad brush and vilifying a group. And we Christians for the last few decades have been as guilty of it as anybody. We would not be where we are today, and we can get back to being a reunited States of America if we will stop vilifying groups and we'll start having conversations with some ones who are sitting across the table from us. And we'll listen to understand, not to be understood. James goes on, and he says, when you fail to do this, when you fail to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, it does some significant damage. Look at what he wrote. 
He said, I want you to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Unhealthy anger never leads to healthy change. Unhealthy anger never leads to healthy change. James's point is, for those of us who follow Jesus, unhealthy anger will never produce in us the righteousness. What does that mean? It's just the right character that God desires, the right living that God desires, the kind of character that Jesus had. Unhealthy anger, being slow to listen, quick to speak, and quick to become angry, it does not produce things like love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. Now let me ask you, would our country be better off today if just those of us who were Christians demonstrated a little more of those qualities? Of course it would. Would we be more united if those of us who are Christians had a lot more of this and a lot less of trying to make a point and making pronouncements and you know, vilifying entire groups? Of course it would. And if you're not a Christian, this is the, the beauty of this. You, you're not obligated to live this way, so you can lean in and pick and choose what you want to do here. But for those of us who are Christians, this is a description of who we are supposed to be. This is a description of the righteousness or the righteous life that God desires to produce in us. And part of the reason that we have contributed to this problem is because this has not been true of us. And until it is true of us, we will continue to create division and not unity. We will continue to communicate division and not love. So James explains this to them, to these Jewish people who are living among Romans, who are literally their enemy. They've taken away their freedoms, their government. They've suppressed and oppressed them in so many ways. And he says, nope, here's how you're to live in the middle of that. Here's how you're to relate in the middle of that with people who you disagree with. And then he gets even more personal. Just a few sentences later, James gives them one more warning. Look at what he says next. Those who consider themselves religious. Let me just hit pause. James says, if you think you're a religious person, okay, a religious person, so you're going, uh, you know, I love Jesus. Yes, I do. I love Jesus. How about you? I don't, you know, drink, smoke, cuss, chew, run around with girls that do. That's probably not true for hardly any of us in this crowd. But if you, if you think you're a religious person, it's like, oh, I got to go to church and, you know, I love God and I read my Bible. He says, for I want to talk to all of you who, are, you know, lump yourself into that category. He says, those of you who consider yourself religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues, deceive, this is a strong word, themselves. He said, you go around talking about how much you love God, but you don't control your tongue and what's coming out your mouth. You go around talking about, you know, all the things that you got going on and how you follow God and how you go to church and on and on. But then you're saying things that are hurtful to people and about people. James says, you're just deceiving yourselves. You are in the middle, you are caught in the trap of self-deception, the worst trap you can be caught in. You, you think you're loving God, and he, this is James' point. You're not loving God at all because it's impossible to love God and not love his children. It's impossible to love God and not love the people that he created in his image. And then he gets even more direct. He says, and their religion or your religion or my religion is worthless. It's worthless. Now, here's what James is saying. 
If you go around and you engage in gossip, can't control your tongue. You know what gossip is? It's when you talk about something with somebody who's neither a part of the problem or the solution. That's gossip. He says, you go around gossiping, you're just kind of stirring up things, and you're saying derogatory things about them and them and them and them, and you're just spreading it around because it makes you feel superior. James says, I just want you to know, every time you gossip, your religion's worthless. Hey, you go around on social media, you're making all these posts, and you're arguing, and you got, you know, the 50% that agree with you, and they're all cheering you on. The other 50%, you're just making so angry. He says, when you're in the middle of all that, and, you know, saying these things, and casting all these dispersions, your religion's worthless. You go around demeaning and belittling people. You start talking about that whole group and how awful they are. You know, everybody on the city council is an idiot. Everybody here, they're ridiculous. Everybody here, they just, they just, they just. You're just so demeaning and belittling to people. You make people feel stupid. You make them feel about this tall. And then when you find out about it, you're too arrogant to go and apologize. He says, every time you do that, your religion, worthless. Worthless. Every time there's a hint of racism or racial bias that comes out in you, Every time you see a certain group of people with a certain skin color and you make assumptions about their character, you make assumptions about their behaviors just based on the color of their skin. Every time you see a mixed race family and you just immediately make some judgments about them because it's mixed race. He says, hey, listen, you do, every time you do that, your religion, it's worthless. Whoa, James, but I love God and I show up at church and I read my Bible. James says, I'm not impressed by any of that. Your religion's worthless. Because you can't love God and not love the people who are created in his image. Now, I just want to point out, this is not Matt's words, this is James' words, okay? So if that fires you up, you're welcome to argue with the brother of Jesus all you want. Good luck with that one, okay? Brother of Jesus tells me something, I'm just saying, yes sir, I'm not arguing with him. You can argue if you want, but this is how strong James believed in this. So, Here's my question for you. Here's what I want you to wrestle with this week. Simply this. Will you pay attention to the words coming out of your mouth and the thoughts rattling around in your mind? Will you just pay attention? Because you may and I may have fallen into a habit of being very divisive, of vilifying entire groups, of using a broad brush and demeaning or belittling people. You may or I may have fallen into a habit of saying words and making comments and using tones that demean others. And you may not even realize it. You may have justified it for so long that you've convinced yourself it's fine. You're right. You may have fallen into the habit of trying to make a point. And every time you run to somebody who views something differently than you, you just go right into debate mode. Let me make a point. Let me make a point. Let me prove that I'm right. Will you just pay attention to the words coming out of your mouth and the thoughts that are rattling around in your mind? And at least acknowledge what you see. Don't put your head in the sand. Don't try to justify it or explain it away. At least acknowledge, as ugly as it may be, as hurtful as it may be, just acknowledge, whoa, that's there. And that's a problem. That's there. And that should change. And then, if you want bonus points, how about you go ahead and start changing it? How about you go ahead and issue some apologies? How about you go ahead and censor what you say? 
How about you go ahead and look in the mirror and dig down deep into what's really going on in your heart that would cause you to think that way about that person or that whole group of people, that whole race, that whole economic class, that, that whole political party. How about you do that? Because the starting point for a reunited States of America is not to make a point, but it's to make a difference. And you make a difference not with pronouncements, you make a difference with conversations. You make a difference by sitting across a table from someone and trying to see life from their point of view. You make a difference by doing what James taught and doing what Jesus modeled. If you're sitting there going, but Matt, what does that look like? I don't even know how to do that. I've never sat down with somebody and had lunch with somebody who's a different race than me, a different political party than me. I've never even broached these subjects. I don't even know how to do it. How do you, how, how do you even approach that? Jesus gave us an extraordinary example of that. And in episode two of the Not So United States of America, we'll dig into it. I'll walk you through exactly what he did and how you and I can do it as well. So stay tuned. But this week, can we just follow what James teaches and be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry? Because red, yellow, black, and white, rich and poor, left and right, they really are all precious in his sight. Let me pray for us. Father, would you give us, as followers of Jesus, uh, first of all, just the understanding that we have a responsibility because we're stewards of your message. We have a responsibility because we're representatives of you. It is our role and responsibility to, responsibility to step into the middle of a divisive culture and to model and to demonstrate what it looks like to love and to value and to honor and to show dignity and worth to people with whom we may disagree. And if just those of us who called this our church home, would do this in this community, I wonder what kind of impact it would make. And if those of us who say we follow you throughout this nation would do it, I wonder how different our culture and the tone and climate of our country would be. So would you give us the wisdom to know what to do with this, the wisdom to pay attention to the words coming out of our mouth and the thoughts rattling around in our mind this week? And then give us the courage to own them, not excuse them. Give us the courage to be willing to keep pulling back the layers and figuring out what really is in our heart that would cause us to think about or talk about or treat someone the way that we are. And give us the power to do it because we certainly cannot do it apart from you. And it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.